0: Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 4. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you are in the right place. Today I'm talking about the Season 4 story arc as a whole, and I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist and founder of A Second writingasasecondcareer.com. As to the season four story, today we'll talk about an opening conflict that pays off in the climax, a season arc that's more theme based than plot based, and whether the one off episodes muddle the season plot a bit. Unlike other episodes, there are no spoilers at all. I feel like I pretty much covered those last time when I talked about spoilers from Restless. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Season 4 aired starting on October 5, 1999 and ran through May twenty third, 2000. That corresponded with my last year in law school. It was my fourth year... You have to spend four years uh, generally when you go at night like I did and worked full-time during it. And as I've mentioned before, Buffy was kind of life-saving for me. Knowing I could get out of my class at 8.30 on Monday nights and watch Buffy was uh, sometimes all that got me through that evening's lecture. Season four starts with an opening conflict. That's the conflict that is there to draw us into the story. And sometimes it relates to the main plot of a book or a novel or movie or TV show, sometimes not. Here it directly relates to the entire season. In The Freshman, episode one, Buffy struggles to adjust to college life. She feels unsure and overwhelmed, especially because her friends, other than Xander, who we don't see, seem to be doing great. But I think Buffy imagines that Xander, who has gone on a sort of on-the-road trip, is also having a wonderful time, and she's the only one who feels so out of place. Willow's excited by all the new educational opportunities, plus Oz is there on campus with her, and he has a ton of friends, both because he plays in the band and because he was left back a year. So his friends have been on campus for a year, and he smoothly fits right in. Xander, as I mentioned, is completely separate. So he is not there at the beginning of the episode emphasizing this disconnect. And Giles is also, in a lesser way, physically out of the loop. There is no high school library to gather in. And the college library is a great metaphor for Buffy. We see her thinking, oh, okay, the library, that'll be a great place to go. And instead of that warm sort of comfortable space she's used to it's this cavernous room with metal shelves and so much space and they're told to whisper and she feels even worse there and of course giles is not there he is at his apartment in the earlier seasons we very rarely saw his apartment if we did it was for something key like jenny calendar's death Or Buffy coming to find him during the episode with Igon where she knocks on the door and he's been drinking. Or when she came back at the beginning of season three to see him after having taken off and disappeared on everyone. But now if Buffy wants to see Giles... For the most part, she needs to go to his apartment, this separate place. So that, too, emphasizes the distance between our four core characters. Giles then chooses to step farther away because when Buffy goes to see him because a student has disappeared, he tells her she can handle it on her own. So if we see Buffy as the season four protagonist, she starts in conflict separate from her friends and feeling lost and alone and overwhelmed, which is a great conflict to draw us in. And if we see the group as the protagonist of the season, our four core characters are disconnected, though some are happier than others, namely Willow. And while they unite by the end of the episode, this opening conflict essentially continues throughout the season. This is the major season conflict in addition to dealing with Adam and the initiative. But this is the conflict that permeates the entire season, which is Part of why I say in a lot of ways this season is more about theme than plot, because the theme or one of the key themes is what happens to the old gang, the high school gang, when everyone graduates. And while there certainly are stories about that and there's a plot arc about it, it is not as driven by or connected to the events of the plot The way that, for instance, the Buffy Angel theme and plot were connected or Buffy and Faith connected to the season three themes. Next, I looked for the story spark or inciting incident for the season. So usually in a story, a film, a novel, we see that around 10% through. And it is the incident that sets off the main plot. If you're a regular listener, you know that usually I look at this by minutes elapsed in the episode, and usually we do see that story spark somewhere around 10%, occasionally a little bit later. So I couldn't really do minutes with this, or I guess I could, but that would be way more time calculating than I wanted to do. So I looked at it by episodes, and with 22 episodes, 10% through would be about 28 and that is Living Conditions. That's the Kathy episode where Buffy struggles with this new roommate who does turn out to be a demon. She also meets Parker when she's avoiding Kathy, which is what happens about 20% through the episode. She's also pretty mean to Kathy in the cafeteria right around then, which seems un-Buffy-like. But later in the episode, we realize Kathy is gradually stealing Buffy's soul. So we could see that in a metaphoric sense as a story spark for the season because Buffy's soul in a way is her connection to her friends, to Giles, also to her mom, who is also separate. Buffy's no longer living with her mom. And if we see that as Buffy losing her soul and losing her way, this is a sort of spark for that. But the other thing is while Living Conditions was not a favorite episode of mine, it is symbolic of how much loss. And change Buffy is dealing with. She has lost a lot of what grounds her. Angel is gone, and thus we get the Parker rebound relationship disaster, which starts in this episode. She's away from home and her mom. Giles is no longer her official watcher. She quit the council near the end of last season. And when she goes to him for help, he is pushing her to stand on her own. And her friends are all going different directions. So in a thematic way, you could see this as setting off the plot. When we look solely at the plot of season four, which I see more so as Buffy versus the Initiative, or Buffy and her friends versus the Initiative and Adam, it doesn't do much in that regard. The next major plot point I look for in stories is what I think of as the one-quarter twist because it often comes about 25% through, though on uh, television episodes, it's sometimes as late as a third of the way through. But typically, it comes from outside the protagonist and spins the story in a new direction where the protagonist is then reacting to that twist, and it often raises the stake. So being literal, again, about the numbers here that would be, if you look at 25% through, that would be halfway through episode five. If we look at a third of the way through, that would be episode seven, about a third of the way through that episode. Do I think that that is how the writers thought of it? No, and I'm not sure that's even an accurate way to look at Uh, where the plot turn would be to be so precise about 5.5 through the episode. But it gave me a, a guideline for looking at the season. So the three episodes that are there are Beer Bad, Wild at Heart, and The Initiative. And to my surprise, I do see some pretty major turns here. I guess the surprise is really with Beer Bad, which I think of generally as a sort of throwaway episode and i'm pretty sure it is one of the ones that fans are uh, most united about not loving but it does spin the season arc in a new direction because it ends buffy reeling from the parker bad experience which is symbolic of The rest of her life so let's start with it does come from outside Buffy because Buffy's sort of growth and change in this episode is largely due to the magically spiked beer that starts turning those who overindulge in it into cave people and also her realization about Parker what finally hits home for her is a comment Riley makes offhandedly about Parker and all the different uh, young women that he gets involved with and drops. And while other people have tried to tell Buffy this and she's seen it herself, it really sinks in at that moment. And it's a pretty big turn that comes from outside Buffy. The fact that Buffy finally gets over Parker, now that I look at the season as a whole, I see as Also showing she is ready to move forward with her life post-Angel and post-high school. So I'm not sure it raises the stakes for Buffy. Instead, I think it starts making life a little better for her or gives her that possibility. But it is definitely a turn. We're done with that initial period of her grappling with being in college and things being so different and having a lot of loss and change. Now, Wild at Heart is really Willow's episode, and it is a huge turn for her and also for the Scoobies as a whole if we see them as a group as the season protagonist. Either way, it comes from outside the protagonist. The symbol of that is Veruca, the young woman who is also, a werewolf and is the catalyst for Oz discovering that the wolf not only is always inside him, which he knew, but that the wolf has more influence on him, more control over him than he realized, that the wolf can still present danger. To the people around him, to the people he loves, and to himself, his sense of who he is, that it is not enough to lock himself up every month so Oz leaves. And also, it brings out these issues in Oz's and Willow's relationship that they did not realize were there. This is a major turn for Willow, clearly, and it raises the stakes because now Willow, who had pretty much been enjoying college and feeling pretty good about her post-high school life, feels alone, abandoned, and rejected. And we'll see that echo in the season when she has these fears about Still being that nerdy girl back in high school, there's some part of her that fears that that's why Oz left. That's why he rejected her. And on the upside, this opens the way for Willow to connect with Tara and have a new romantic relationship. And that's the part that I see as a big turn for the Scoobies for the season because Willow now starts to draw away from the group as an outgrowth of connecting with Tara or maybe just as part of needing some space after Oz leaves but I see it more as one when you become enamored with someone new you have a new relationship it's normal you are spending more time with that person and a little less time with your friends. And then with Willow and Tara, there is the complication of Willow perhaps not realizing what her feelings for Tara mean at first. We don't know because we don't get inside Willow's head during the early part of that relationship. But we do know that she doesn't share this with her friends and part of it could be wanting that separate relationship, that closeness with Tara that's not a part of being in Buffy's group, what is essentially Buffy's group of friends, but also could be her fear of how her friends will react and her not being ready yet to tell them about what they might see as an unconventional relationship. So I talked about that in previous episodes, but I'm not sure I saw how that that really does turn the season and is another new direction that Willow is taking away from the group at least for a time. And then in the initiative, Buffy will start a relationship that in part will lead her away from the group for different reasons. Buffy and the Art of Story, Season 2, Part 2, Episodes 12 through 22, How to Write About Love, Pyrrhic Victory, and Betrayal, is now available in print and ebook editions. It is a great gift for the Buffy fan on your list or for yourself. You can find a link in the show notes, or go to lisalilly.com slash Buffy, and you'll find all the Buffy books listed there. When I broke down the initiative, I called it a mix of rom-com and secret agent, and I also found it hard to sort out who the protagonist was and saw it as a series of subplots with no single clear main plot, but there are significant plot turns for the season here. Buffy confronts Professor Walsh about how insensitive Walsh is to Willow, and Walsh admires Buffy for it, comments on it to Riley, and this inches Riley toward realizing that he does have feelings for Buffy, which is something that he figures out in the course of the episode, and at the end, they connect over both finding each other peculiar and this will definitely change the entire season arc. It brings Buffy into the orbit of the initiative and to cross paths more directly with Adam, though presumably Buffy, she would have Gone after Adam regardless, but she would have known a lot less about him if she were not involved with Riley. Also, we get the seeds of Buffy and Professor Walsh connecting, and we learn in this episode for the first time that Riley is in the initiative. We've seen these glimpses of it, but we didn't know Riley was part of it, and we didn't know Walsh was running it. And finally, Riley and Buffy clash, though they don't recognize each other when the initiative is trying to capture Spike who also escaped from the initiative after being captured last episode and Spike discovers he can't hurt humans and he blames Buffy for all of it and wants to kill her. So these three episodes as a whole have so many major turns for Our core characters, we also have Giles and Xander both commenting in the initiative on not feeling that Buffy needs them, which will come back in the Yoko factor. All of this raises the stakes because Riley's in the initiative and we start finding out their goals, though they are capturing demons, are much different than Buffy's. All of the events in these episodes contribute to the growing distance between our four core characters. Also, Xander doesn't have any major storyline in any of these three episodes. Neither does Giles, but... In the previous three seasons, while Giles always is important to Buffy, we generally were seeing through the whole high school world through the eyes of Buffy, Willow, and Xander, not Giles, though he occasionally got episodes centered around him. So it's not as unusual for him. But with Xander... He's almost like an afterthought in these episodes, and I don't know if that was purposeful, but it fits his season narrative arc of not knowing how he fits with his friends anymore because they're in college. He's not. He doesn't know what it is he wants to be doing with his life. He doesn't know where he's going, and the fact that there is this pivotal point in the season Where we normally would see a major plot turn in a story and there's relatively little about Xander seems so symbolic and really fits the theme of the season of disconnection. Next, I looked at the midpoint of the season. That's where typically in a story we see the protagonist make a major commitment to the quest or suffer a major reversal, or both. And I think the best example of this was in season one. Episode six of 12 was the episode Angel, where Buffy had that serious reversal of finding out that Angel who she was falling for was a vampire. And then she made a pretty big commitment by... uh, laying down her weapons when fighting him and offering him her neck and trusting that he was not going to try to kill her. Season two also had a very strong reversal. It was beyond the midpoint. It was the end of episode 13, Surprise, where Buffy and Angel, first commitment, they made love for the first time, and then Angel turned evil again, lost his soul. So, It was past the midpoint, but major reversal. And then season three, the actual midpoint around uh, episode 11 would have been the end of Gingerbread. But I think, again, the major reversal, commitment reversal, comes at a later time, Bad Girls, episode 14, where Faith kills the deputy mayor, and then consequences. And the commitment before that was Buffy throwing all in and letting her inhibitions go, finding the joy in slaying, and then this terrible thing happens. And it doesn't surprise me that major events that normally we'd see in the middle of a story arc happen at different times when we look at these seasons as a whole because where major things happen in network television was often time to go with certain key times in the calendar for getting new viewers or getting high ratings so i think that that's why you don't see the dramatic turn right at the midpoint a lot of times in a season So going back to season four, if we look at the literal midpoint, that would be 11, episode 11, halfway through it. And that episode was Doomed. So it's ironic that I did not find the midpoint of Doomed as a story to be particularly uh, significant. Buffy tells Riley it would be a huge black pit of a mistake to be with him, but then she does not so much make a commitment at that moment, but realize in the second half of the episode that if it doesn't work out, it wouldn't be the end of the world because she literally faces an apocalypse again, and she dives into the hellmouth. So yay for my favorite phrase for the this podcast. And she gets out with Riley's help. So she feels freer to love again. And in that sense, that is a pretty big commitment again for Buffy. And she does sort of throw caution to the wind and go all in with Riley. And it probably is not an accident that at the midpoint of this season, the Hellmouth beneath the high school is once again closed. Buffy literally dives into it, drags out this apocalypse demon, averts the end of the world, and perhaps says, a final goodbye to high school. Although our characters will hang out in the burnt-out high school when Riley's hiding from the initiative. But all the same, I, I think it's still symbolic that that happens. Also in episode 11, Spike discovers that he can hit demons. And that is a huge switch in the season arc because it causes him to, at least when it's convenient for him, to become a sort of ally with Buffy and her friends. And Willow and Xander find out Riley is in the initiative. All the same, I'm I'm not sure that this really represents any sort of major reversal or commitment for the season. But the next episode, 12, is A New Man. That's the one where Giles turns into a demon. It's on Buffy's birthday, like Surprise and Innocence were. Buffy has been telling Giles how Professor Walsh is the smartest person she ever met and fangirling over her much to Giles' dismay, and when he turns into a demon, uh, we see his feelings for Professor Walsh come out. Buffy also reveals herself to Walsh as the Slayer in this episode, so perhaps that is the major commitment of the season, that Buffy shares her true identity with Walsh and learns about The initiative. She also downplays her strengths and her experience to try to make Riley feel better. Something I see as a sort of reversal. Buffy reconnects with Giles at the end of the episode, realizing she's been taking him for granted. But I don't think we see a lot of change in the Buffy Giles relationship because of that. And you can hear more about that in two weeks when I'll be sharing a bonus episode I did about a new man and. Comparing it to the Buffy Giles episode, The Dark Age. As a whole, A New Man does turn the story mainly because of that commitment of Buffy sharing her identity with Walsh. That is going to drive. The rest of the season so to me that is the closest to a season midpoint commitment that we have and then the next episode is the eye in team that's episode 13 so closer to where we saw the type of midpoint commitment and reversal i usually look for in season two and season three So early in the ION team, Buffy more or less ditches her friends for Riley and the initiative and kind of goes all in on the initiative. Then Walsh tries to kill Buffy. So major reversal. I think that is the key reversal of the season, along with Adam killing Professor Walsh. Major reversal for Professor Walsh, for sure. But also for Buffy, because now Adam is loose in the world. And perhaps even with his design flaws, If Professor Walsh were still around, she might have been able to deal with that. But now, no chance of that. So these three episodes taken together do have some pretty big commitments and reversals. Just not one key moment the way we have in Surprise with Buffy making love with Angel and then that reversal of him turning evil. On to the last major plot turn in most stories, which often comes at the three-quarter mark or maybe um, two-thirds through, depending on the type of story. And it usually grows out of the midpoint and takes the story in yet another new direction. If you'd like to apply the story structure I talk about in Buffy and the Art of Story to your own writing, you can download free story structure worksheets at writingasasecondcareer.com/story. Here are the 3 episodes that are right around there are Goodbye Iowa episode 14, and This Year's Girl and Who Are You, the two-part Faith episodes, 15 and 16. So in Goodbye, Iowa, Adam steps out into the world and starts exploring and killing. Spike suggests Riley was in on Professor Walsh killing Buffy, or trying to kill Buffy, rather. And Riley struggles with withdrawal from the initiative and the drugs, and he doesn't trust Buffy and, and says to her, Who are you? So all of that does grow out of those midpoint reversals and commitments, and all of it spins the story, although Adam already was unleashed on the world in the previous episode, so this more uh, doubles down on that or shows us the consequences of that. But Spike's suggestion that Riley was in on it, and both Riley and Buffy struggling with whether they can trust each other, those are are pretty big turns, maybe not quite as significant for the Scooby gang as a whole. Then there's This Year's Girl and Who Are You? And I find it so interesting that these are fairly close to the middle of the season because you could see them as a combined one-off episode. Faith does not return in season four. She finishes her story on the show Angel. And while we do follow Buffy to Angel for one of those episodes, you can watch season four without doing that. In those two Buffy episodes, Faith wakes up from her coma, fights Buffy, then switches bodies with her. She has sex with Riley, who thinks it is Buffy. And Also, Faith starts to see what her life could have been like if she were Buffy in a way, or if she embraced the role of a slayer as protecting people and starts to value that and change somewhat. And Buffy gets a sense of how people treat Faith and perhaps has some more sympathy for her, at least before Buffy finds out that Faith slept with Riley. This is a pretty big turning point for Buffy and Riley in terms of their season arc. Riley does not take Buffy seriously when she tells him about Faith. He makes light of her warnings. And it's interesting that Adam, as I talked about in Primeval, doesn't take Buffy seriously. So we have this theme of the initiative guys, I guess, not taking Buffy seriously. In contrast, Professor Walsh took Buffy very seriously, enough so to try to kill her. And I'm not suggesting that that's a better reaction, but it is An interesting contrast in how Professor Walsh saw Buffy versus Riley and Adam. Now, Riley, of course, I think he generally takes Buffy seriously, but he doesn't when she tries to tell him about Faith. To be fair, she doesn't tell him the whole story, but all the same, it Feels significant to me that he won't just take her at her word. Then he has sex with Faith, who's in Buffy's body, and Riley says, I love you to Buffy, except that it's Faith. And this reverberates through the whole season. It takes Buffy a while to get past. The Riley and Faith hook up despite that Riley didn't know. And I guess I should say it takes her a while to get past the fact that Riley didn't recognize what was happening. She realistically understands that there probably is no way he could have. But it's hard for her to get over it. And we don't see Riley say I love you directly to Buffy again. We don't see him use those words in season four, nor does she say I love you to Riley. They do talk around it. They do say it in other ways, but they don't use those words. And I don't think that that could be accidental. Despite that, some key things happen in these episodes. I don't really see what I would think of as a three quarter turn here. And I think it's because the season as a whole feels disconnected to me, much as our friends are disconnected. Also, while the plot eventually will go to the Scooby Gang fighting against Adam, these episodes don't really propel the story in that direction. They kind of open up space for it to go in that direction. But then we get one-off episodes. Um, Superstar, where Jonathan is uh, the paragon of everything. Wild Things, where Buffy and Riley have sex continuously. And basically create the haunted fraternity house and then new moon rising when Oz comes back and Willow comes out about Terra and that is certainly a key episode for Willow for Oz for Terra but none of those episodes really grow out of what happened at the three-quarter mark And other than in very minor ways, they don't really move the plot of fighting Adam forward. And we go from those one-offs right into the two-part finale with the Yoko Factor and Primeval. So that is where, again, I feel like thematically these episodes fit because all of them do rest in part on our friends being disconnected, but they do Don't necessarily do a lot with the season plot arc. So now we are at the climax of the season where the opposing forces have their final clash and resolve the conflict. And we definitely get that here. The Yoko factor is mainly a setup. We get the complication that the friends need to resolve amongst themselves before they can fight Adam. And Spike is the one who puts that, not so much puts it in motion because it's been in motion the whole season, but he plays upon it and is a catalyst for that conflict coming out into the open. So I suppose in that sense, the theme of the friends being disconnected does relate to the main plot because ultimately they will have to unite to fight Adam. So there is a connection there to the plot. And then in Primeval, they figure out... First, an uneasy sort of alliance. Again, they agree that Spike stirred up the trouble, but they're all a little bit in denial that it wasn't all Spike. They do come to grips with that and reconnect emotionally and then more literally connect through the spell that combines all of them. So it is a very strong climax here, and it pays off that opening conflict where the friends were all going separate directions, and now they are together again. And I love Super Combo Buffy fighting Adam. Then we have something very unusual, the only time it happens in all of Buffy, which is an entire episode... That is about falling action. And falling action is the part of a story where we tie up loose ends and resolve subplots. And normally that's done in a brief section at the end of the same episode that contains the climax. But here we get Restless, which is the four dreams of our four core characters, Now, we did get some falling action in Primeval. We saw the initiative suits talking about ending the initiative itself and how the project failed. Uh, We also had the fun scene with Spike killing the demon who's about to attack Giles, Willow, and Xander. And one of the uh, show's patrons, Steve, commented on that saying, He thought it showed that Spike really does like the Scoobies because while he kills the demon in the hope that the others won't stake him for his part in all of this, he could have just taken off, let it all play out, let the demon kill them. That also would have solved his problem, though I suppose Buffy could have still come after him. But Spike could have left town. He didn't really have to save the Scooby. So I thought that was an interesting insight that maybe that is part of Spike really kind of liking our friends despite his protests to the contrary. So we do have that bit of falling action, but we get much more of it, a whole episode of it in Restless. First, before the dreams, we learn a bit about Riley and why he probably won't be court-martialed. And then in the dreams, the show deals with the spell and how our friends invoked the spirit of the first slayer in order to defeat Adam and the consequences of that. At the same time, the episode, as I talked about last time, in addition to being falling action, also is a character study of Buffy, Giles, Xander, and Willow, and something that Joss Whedon talked about just really enjoying doing and seeing as uh, something he knew some fans would not like at all, but that other fans would love to just explore these four characters Further, both what they had been through and where they were going. Doing this overview of the season four story arc makes me wish I had done this for seasons one, two, and three. Maybe at some point I'll revisit that, perhaps in a bonus episode or uh, when the show, when the podcast is finished, when I've gotten through all the seasons, which right now is hard to imagine uh, that. Point. It looks like that's gonna take probably three more years, which is okay because I love Buffy and I kind of don't want it to end. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode and to Buffy and the Art of Story as a whole. Next time, you'll get to hear a bonus episode. I originally recorded and released to patrons only, comparing season two's The Dark Age with season four, A New Man. And then after that, there will be a short break, and I'll return on January 17, 2022, with Buffy versus Dracula and start off season five. Remember, you can find the show notes and back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at slash Buffy Story. You can find the book editions of Buffy and the Art of Story at slash Buffy Books. And if you like supernatural thrillers or female private eye mysteries with smart, determined female protagonists, you can check out the first in each of my series free at lisalily.com free.